So, uh, have you found yourself in debates with people trying to convince them of established science? Perhaps you shouldn't bother based on a new study that we'll cover in a moment. Also, does snow fall on Mars? Perhaps so, at night time. Um, and uh, we begin our science and technology roundup with how global warming has made Hurricane Harvey even worse than it might otherwise have been. We've already talked today about the severe flooding in the Texas area. Mark's Astro Science Journalist here to go through those stories. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. So, um, inevitably, people are going to be asking, is climate change responsible every time we have an extreme weather event? It's a difficult question to answer. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, we've had hurricanes in the past, and mm -hmm. there may even be snow on Mars, as we're going to talk about. But whether or not this has been worsened by human actions is, is a pertinent question. That's right. Of course, it can always be tricky to talk about, as you say, the role of climate in one isolated weather event. But in this case, it's wrong to say that we can't talk about it at all because there are some clear, straightforward ways where we can say for sure that climate change has worsened the impact of Hurricane Harvey. And climate scientist Michael Mann of Penn State University outlined some of them in a post that went viral on Facebook yesterday. One of those ways is sea level rise. Now, globally, the Earth's sea level has risen, on average, only about two centimeters in the past 100 years or so. But the world's oceans are not rising together. They're not rising the same amount everywhere. In fact, the western Gulf of Mexico, where Harvey hit, is seeing much faster sea level rise than the global average, around 18 centimeters in just the last 30 or 40 years. So that means that the flooding, uh, the storm surge, has been that much higher. Uh, and you can't dispute that. Uh, another way in which we can definitely say global warming had an impact is that it made Harvey a stronger storm. The sea surface temperatures in the Gulf of Mexico, where the hurricane was gathering strength, they're about half a degree Celsius higher than they were 30 or 40 years ago. And so that means the hurricane was able to draw more energy from that warm water, which means stronger winds and a higher storm surge, pushing more water into shore. It also translates into about 3% more moisture in the atmosphere, which of course means more rainfall. And we've seen the, the consequences of that. If those are pretty solid signs of the influence of climate change, are there others that might be tenuous but still worth mentioning here? Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are the issues then that scientists are going to be looking at and studying in the months and years to come. Uh, one of them is the way that Harvey has behaved, the way it's moved, because it has stalled right over the coast now, and it's going to stay there for several days. We're looking at maybe a total of 120 centimeters of rain uh, in that area. And the, the, the reason the hurricane has stalled is actually because there are very weak winds, very weak prevailing winds that are not pushing it back out to sea. And those are coming from a high pressure system near the tropics over the U.S. And that kind of weather pattern is actually predicted in some simulations of climate change. So that could have contributed to its behavior. Some simulations also predict kind of more generally that in a warmer, in a warmer world, the atmosphere is more likely to see these stationary stalled weather patterns. They're kind of like standing waves in the atmosphere that don't go there but draw in energy and produce rainfall. And again, these are more tenuous links, but they're certainly going to receive a lot more attention from scientists. Well, if anyone remembers that... Um I'm not sure whether you think it was an accurate uh, portrayal of the future. Water world, human beings with webbed feet and hands and so on. But seriously, 
one aspect of science fiction does seem to be all too real, which is Texas streets that would otherwise have been filled with roads covered, and not just covered, but actually filled with water. Uh, and, and if that's a sign of things to come, we're going to have to adapt pretty quickly to these conditions. Yeah, it's certainly going something that communi- coastal communities all over the world have to adapt to, and certainly people that are in the areas that are threatened by these storms. It only takes a slightly stronger storm to create much greater consequences and, and much more havoc. Yeah, indeed. Um, something else to mention here, we've talked about climate change. There's even a debate within that, even if you accept that the climate's changing, about whether that's man-made or not, for example, mm. uh, whether or not we should be taking actions to curb our carbon emissions etc. And that brings us to our next topic perhaps, which is, you know, whether we um, actually have the ability to convince detractors. Um, (laughs) Science education seems like the way forward, but that's a view that's being challenged by a new study in the US. That's right. A new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the US suggests that the more people know about science, the more polarized their views become. So in other words, learning more about science or having more science literacy doesn't change people's minds or attitudes towards science in terms of accepting it. It only makes people dig in harder about their pre-existing beliefs. Now this comes from a pair of researchers at Carnegie Mellon University. They analyzed the results of a sort of general social study in the U.S. looking at people's attitudes on controversial science issues like climate change, human evolution, uh, the Big Bang, and then also stem cell research, nanotechnology, and genetically modified foods. And what they found is that the more educated or science literate a person was, in terms of things like their knowledge about actual general science facts, and also the level of education that they had attained, uh, the more polarized uh, people's views became. And in a statement, these, the authors called these troubling correlations. So why? Why is that happening? So one possibility is that people with more education are more likely to understand how to express themselves. They're more likely to know the vocabulary of a science issue and, uh, and talk about it more uh, and become more polarized. But another possibility is that they may simply be more confident in their ability to argue their case. Being exposed to these ideas uh, makes them feel as if they, uh, they know more about them and they become uh, more, I guess, more... more hard set on their opinions. We, we see this particularly strongly expressed in the United States. Um, unique mm-hmm. political forces there contributing to a high rate of anti-science views on topics like global warming. But this study is also saying something perhaps universal about human nature. Is that disturbing? Yeah, it, it really, I think, gets at how we process information, especially uh, in, in sort of today's age of, of online news and, and news feeds that come from our social media. Uh, the underlying phenomenon here, that knowing more about science doesn't necessarily make you like science more, that's something that's rooted in behavioral psychology. Psychologists call it motivated reasoning, that we seek out information and we interpret that information in a way that supports our prior beliefs. Right? That's why we prefer to stay in our own 
own filter bubbles on Facebook or Twitter, only following the people that we like. Uh, it, and it's part of a growing recognition, more generally in psychology, about how hard it is to change the minds of people who deny climate change and other aspects of science. Because although we like to think of science as rational and logical, how people actually think and feel about science is much more tied up in our own identities, our political identities, and to an extent, our religious identities. So in a way, I think for this study is a wake-up call to anyone who communicates science to the public for a living like I do, um, that education and science literacy is not the answer to science denialism. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to ask you about, though, is whether you feel that the scientific community, if you know, speaking such a generalization, uh, is uh, too arrogant at times in that conversation, whether that pushes people away. It absolutely. I, I think it's a, it's a good point. It, it can be at, at times. Uh, you certainly see instances and, and I think studies that back this up that, you know, that show people are more open to being approached in certain ways, right? Nobody, and it's kind of obvious, nobody likes to be told that they're stupid mm. or uh, that their uh, sort of religious identity uh, is going to be challenged by uh, a certain scientific issue, right? Nobody, nobody likes uh, to feel that way. So there are definitely strategies that science communicators have talked about to try to uh, convince the public in a more effective way. Yeah, because there are some religions that have adapted to science or, or have continued to evolve with science and, and not set their stall out, not made their fundamental um, creed or faith base solely founded on, on a non-scientific view. The thing is, there are churches in the world, for example, that, that, that are absolutely you know, ignoring all the science that's out there. And that, that no doubt does frustrate people. It's hard to have that conversation. Um, let's finish on a, on a somewhat lighter note, perhaps, the topic of snowfall. Uh, we've probably got some more to look forward to this winter, but uh, maybe you could uh, enjoy some tonight if you had a way of getting up to Mars. That's right. According to computer simulations, snowstorms are actually a common occurrence on Mars, uh, and not just lightly falling snow, but we're talking about blustery snowstorms. And they happen whenever night falls, according to this new study. And it says that when the sun goes down on Mars, according to these simulations, the clouds in its atmosphere cool off very, very quickly, as much as 4 degrees Celsius per hour. So now you have this mass of cold air in the atmosphere that suddenly plunges towards the ground over the, overnight, bringing snow and ice crystals with it. And now we had a seen signs of some light snowfall from one of NASA's Mars landers before, but these kinds of huge snowstorms every night, uh, that's something we hadn't known about before. And it could make things tricky for you know future probes that would land on Mars or even human space flights that would land on Mars. Knowing about this is actually going to be pretty helpful in helping us to avoid it. Yeah, suddenly, I mean, I wasn't desperate to go to Mars in the first place, but suddenly a holiday to Mars is even less appealing for me personally. Uh, well, Mark Zastro, <laughs> science journalist, thank you very much. Thank you, Alex. Uh, I, I know we've spoken about this before, and I'm sure there are lots of adventurers like Mark who would be more than willing to uh, test those boundaries in the place of people like myself. That doesn't make me a science denier either, though. And uh, always a pleasure to go through that world on a Tuesday morning. And that's our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow at 7.05. Kardashian with Korea Escape coming up next after your latest news headlines.